because it was mentioned about the third graders again, first through third. If there are any new or fourth grade students that are back in the auditorium today, last week we encouraged you and welcomed you into the assembly. Uh, and I also gave a challenge to those that are now joining with the adults, and this is great to have you here. And that was to try to take a notebook with you every week to church so that as the message goes forth, just make it a note to jot down one point that you can learn and then take it home and challenge your parents what they learned uh, regarding the message and then have a little discussion with them. So I challenge every one of you fourth graders that have come to join us and so forth with that challenge again. Here we've entitled this morning's message, Testifying About Jesus. We're actually hitting upon something that in fairness and I think in reality is a difficulty for whatever reason for every believer. And that is giving testimony to Jesus. And you might not think that you have that difficulty, but stay with us this morning as we go on. Where are we in John and what is going on? And by the way, one of the things about expositional preaching, in fairness to you and fairness to me, is when you're going through a book expositionally, which I believe is the right way to teach through scriptures, uh, verse upon verse, because it avoids taking verses out of context, which so often we do, is that we can become bored with it. We can become routine. We can forget and believe we know all the answers and so forth. And this is where we left off. When are we going to get out of John? Well, we're only halfway through. When we get out of Revelation, well, we still got a ways to go. But that's the uh, right way to teach the Word of God. And I want to stir you up even to, as you every time you go to the Word of God, to be ready to see what does God really have for us and what is in the text that is before us. Well, as we come to this text, where are we? Last week we saw that Jesus formerly, he in a formal way, presented himself to the nation of Israel as the Messiah. He did that in verses 12 forward as he came uh, to them. We know that is Palm Sunday uh, because they use palms from date trees and so forth or the triumphant entry by Jesus Christ. And as we pointed out last week to you, uh, really it wasn't much of a triumphant entry because they really didn't accept the Messiah, though they were crying out. I would like you to turn one more time to Zechariah 9. Let's go to Zechariah 9.9. Keep your finger right here in uh, John. But Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, because I want to point this out again to you. In chapter 9 and verse 9, as it talked about him coming as Messiah, the fulfillment of Scripture which we're seeing, and even we know the disciples did not understand from our message last week, we see in verse 9 of Zechariah 9 that it had said this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph. Shout in triumph. Why, O daughter of Zion? Behold, four things that I wanted to point out, and I did that last week. Your king is coming to you. Jesus Christ came as king to them. King over, he is actually king of kings over all of the universe, lord of lords. But he was the king that they were looking for. Not the way they were looking for him. They didn't recognize him, though they even shouted out to him as a king because they were thinking, as we saw, victory over Rome. But he did come as a king. He also came, as it says, as he goes on, next part of the verse, he is just. He came as a deliverer. 
He came as a just God. He, is, uh, he was the chief one to come to them, and he was the one that was endowed also with salvation, and that they didn't see. Even while they were crawling, uh, crying out, Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and thinking in terms of save now. They were thinking in terms of deliverance in a military sense, not as far as salvation from a cross that is required by justice. And he came in, the end of the verse, humbly, because it says humble, and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we see in verse 9, he came in very humbly to them, and that was our text. He came them uh, to them to offer salvation, and in that humble means that he came, even his disciples, go back to John chapter 12, did not understand it, because we read in verse 16, the verse before our text this morning, these things his disciples did not understand at first, not until he was glorified. Then they remembered. So they didn't even get it. And the people, we remember last week, they were excited. They were enthusiastic. They were shouting, in fact. They were shouting, as our text said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 13. And so there was a lot of excitement and a lot of enthusiasm, yet they did not understand him coming. Hard for us to comprehend, but as we saw last week, and you have it repeated to you today again, it is obvious from the text. It is obvious because a few days later, he will be crucified, and they will not accept him. They did not understand, as we pointed out last week, and I repeat this because it's so important, Jesus Christ came to die. He came to die. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. All men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is universal. All men have come short of the glory of God and are in need of salvation. And only Jesus Christ could provide it. And salvation from man had to come through the death of the Messiah. And so he came to them in a humble form. He came to them and he offered himself in that sense. And salvation of the cross was primary, not secondary. He was going there to Jerusalem specifically to die while presenting himself as king. That would have never changed. And the evidence that they missed it was not only the disciples not hearing, but as we saw last week, Jesus' own words pointed out that they did not understand as he wept over the nation of Israel. So many times he had reached out to them, but they didn't want him as their Messiah. And as I just said this morning, that he would be crucified. So that's the context and where we're at. We know that. We, see, we saw that last week. However... What I want you to see this morning is there was something very important that was happening. Very significant that was happening even in the midst of their shouting with joy and yet rejecting their Messiah. Something that was so important in the Lord's day and is absolutely vital to believers today and ought to be a challenge to every one of us starting with myself standing in the pulpit. And what is that? God was using the people. He was still using them to testify, and that's the title of the message here, to testify about Jesus. And our context brings that out very clearly. And I want to say this right away, because you'll hear it ten times this morning. God expects every single professing believer who truly is a believer to be testifying of him. And if you think you've got a 
situation where you've got it up on everybody else theologically, and that's not what God's expect, you're not reading your Bible. God expects every single believer to be testifying about him. In fact, it's an evidence that you know him. And it ought to cause you to think about whether you know him if you're not testifying. And I'll say that right at the beginning today. It's very clear in Scripture. They were testifying. Who were testifying? And some of your Bibles say, will say, depending on the version you're looking at, is they were giving witness. They were witnessing, if you will. Who were doing it? The people were doing it. The crowds were doing it. Look at verse 17. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. It was the crowd who was talking about Jesus. It was the crowd who was bearing witness of Jesus. Now let me tell you a couple of things, first of all, here. I want you to notice that it was the crowd, and what were they testifying about Jesus? About the miracle that he had just done with Lazarus. That's the context. They were continuously telling people that this was the man who raised Lazarus from the dead. And they were telling everybody. They weren't keeping it a secret. They couldn't hold back. And what I also want you to see is not only were they testifying of Jesus, but what else did it say? In our English Bible, in my translation, it says they continued to testify. That's not in everybody's Bible. Some say they bore witness in whatever. Why does it have the word continue? It's an imperfect tense here. Very, very important to us. Why? The English translation in the New American Standard is excellent because they didn't just do it once. They didn't see it that I talked to somebody once, my duty is done. They were continuously, ongoing, all the time, telling people about what had happened. They knew what had happened. This was just not a one-time occurrence. Their lives were affected by what they saw, and they were testifying all the time. Let's be honest. Many of us, when we hear about the words testimony, when we hear about the concept of witnessing, we think about it as an event one time. Oh, I had an opportunity Sunday night to give testimony. By the way, that's a great thing. Don't misunderstand me. Oh, I got to praise the Lord. I finally had an opportunity to witness about what happened to somebody at work. That's not what witnessing is. Witnessing is every day. First of all, if you know Christ, your life is a witness. You'll see that in a moment. But secondly, it is to be always ongoing. What is God doing in your life? Let me try to make it practical before we even start looking at some verses. What is God doing in your life? If you belong to Jesus Christ, number one, has he raised anybody from the dead? You say, I don't know what you're talking about. Really? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You are alive if you've come to Christ. You have a resurrection to talk about. 
You should be talking to others because your life has permanently been affected because you were dead in your trespasses and sins and somebody has raised you up spiritually. You haven't experienced your physical resurrection, but you've been raised from the dead. There's life in you. How can you hold that back? You say, yeah, well, that was a one-time occurrence that's happened in my life. Is God answering prayer in your life? You say, well, I'm not really praying the way I should be. Well, then get to prayer. You see, our life should, this isn't Sunday night. This isn't Wednesday night. This isn't Sunday morning. This is ongoing. When God has changed a life for you, these people were affected by a miracle, and it was constantly, they couldn't get it out of their mind. I'm saying to you in the Christian life, our living for Christ is ongoing all the time. If you know him. If it's not just words because you think you've got a ticket to heaven. It should be absolutely coming out of your life. In that they, you should have a situation. For example, I had this happen to me yesterday. I had a situation where someone swore in my presence. And it wasn't at my house if people are thinking that because some of you were over there i happened to be in the morning i was i was refereeing a game after the men's meeting and 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 somebody and they apologized to me they don't have to apologize to me but why do they do that they knew my profession of faith that's why they apologized and they turned around and said it and i'm not trying to boast it anyway but what it reminded me again your life is always a testimony for christ and the comment was, it doesn't offend me as much as it offends the one you're cursing. And then the person just went their way. But the point is, all the time, we are to be prepared. Not just the opportunity where we talk to people about salvation. God's answer to prayer. I heard of a situation yesterday, believe it or not, I'm going to give it to you again, because I'm trying to give you the practical right away. A situation... Uh, and I have to be careful where I go with this, but it's a situation where a young person was actually testifying to an unsaved relative of mine about the fact that they don't celebrate a certain thing. That is testifying to Jesus Christ. The life has been affected, and even children can't get it out. I'm going to tell you something. I've learned a lot from my children over the years. There comes to be men's meetings, women's meetings, so forth and so on. You adults for a second. And sometimes we have these meetings and did you invite anybody? No, I didn't get around to it. And if you have children, they're the first ones that convict you because they'll be saying, when are you going to invite neighbor so-and-so? How come you didn't invite so-and-so? They're not afraid. We are. Shouldn't be that way. And while, what I'm saying is I know that this was dealing with the resurrection, but they were continually testifying. And what I'm challenging you, you as a Christian, if you belong to Jesus Christ, this isn't a two hours a week type of situation. Our lives should be witnessing for him all the time. In fact, let's turn to some verses quick. Go with me to Acts chapter 1. We're coming back to John. Acts chapter 1. Let's look at verse 8. Yes, he's talking to the disciples. Yes, he's on the scene. He hasn't left and gone back to heaven. That'll happen in verse 9. Yes, he's directing it to them. This is the extension all the way to the church, and you should know that. If I had to take the time, you come see me personally, and I'll take you right through the scriptures. 
But in verse 8 it says, But you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. He's not just talking to his disciples. Every single believer is a witness for Christ. We are a testimony for Christ. We need to be testifying as to who he is. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the uttermost part of the earth. And they did testify that way. But you and I are called at work. And those are the toughest ones. Our neighbors. Our relatives. But it should be ongoing all the time. Answers to prayer. What God has done in our life. How the word of God has blessed us. That's testifying at any given moment about any given situation where God has worked in your life. And certainly the joy of salvation should always be there. Turn me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's something we struggle with if we're honest. The concept of telling others what Christ has done for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 2. Paul said to believers, You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by whom? All men. Your life is out there in front of you. By the way, you are either a good witness or a bad witness for Christ. There is no other way around it. And let me talk about your life for a second in my life. If we gathered 15 people who knew you and we had a conversation with them, would they be able to present enough evidence to us, and then you can do the same for me and so forth, that would show that the way you walk, the way you talk, what you do is evidence that you belong to Jesus Christ. If we went to the courtroom this afternoon and took all the people you worked with and took all of your neighbors and took all of your, revenue, your relatives, and we put them in that room and we said, we want people to come and stand up. Here's so-and-so. And we want you to present all the evidence that you have that that person is truly a Christian. Would they be able to present overwhelming evidence? Or would they be able to say, wait a minute, five years ago they told us about Jesus Christ. Have they ever talked to you about answered prayer? Never. Have they ever invited you anywhere? No. Do they ever talk to you about what they're reading in the Bible? Well, no, they don't want to insult us. Where's the evidence? You ready? Go to Romans 10. Romans 10. I think Christians need a, a wake-up call. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If we confess, what does it say? Come on. I didn't write it. With your mouth. If you are confessing, if you are talking, if you are testifying, please allow me that grace. It's not the same word I know. If you are bearing witness, if you are telling others that Jesus is Lord, if you're talking about him being Lord, and believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead, you will be saved. Why? For the heart, what the person believes, 
resulting in righteousness, but with the mouth of confession is there, resulting in the salvation. That's the evidence that it's real. That you're telling people, that you're testifying. And in case you think it's just always a message of salvation, go with me to Acts chapter 19 for a second. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper county and came to Ephesus and found, watch this, some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? They said to him, no, we haven't even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you baptized? And he said, John's baptism, verse 4. John baptized the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe on him who would come after him. That is Jesus. What have you got here? And then they're going to be baptized again. Why? They didn't understand that Jesus really was already here. You've got people even talking to people who are believing John the Baptist. They had trusted that the Messiah was coming, the one that John the Baptist was talking about. They just didn't know it was Jesus. They're even talking to disciples. What am I saying? You will find throughout the book of Acts a continuous talking about the things of the Lord by those who knew him. It was not once in a while. Why? All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you know Christ, it is a life. How many of us? You answer for yourself, I have to answer for myself. How many of us are spending more time on a computer, watching TV, involved in the pleasures of this life, than we do even reading the Word of God, than we have ever spent telling others about what Jesus has just done for us. Never mind anybody else. You will be amazed if you take a piece of paper and pencil, test yourself. Like I, you will get embarrassed. How much time we spend on things that amount to a hill of beans when it comes to eternity. Not that you can only just read your Bible, witness and so forth. That's not the point. I believe that God's given us all things to enjoy and we should be enjoying him, enjoying him and them. But he should have such control of our life that constantly coming out of our life is the evidence that we belong to him or the evidence of what he has done. Go back to the text. In John chapter 12. What about the changed life? What about the answers to prayer? What about the things God's doing? You'll notice here, they are testifying specifically to one thing. What? The resurrection of Christ. Right? No, the resurrection of Lazarus. They're not even talking about the resurrection of Christ because it hasn't happened yet. They're talking about the deed that he did. And basically, others are coming to find out about it. Because when you look at verse 18, for this reason, what reason? The fact that people were testifying about him, they went to meet him. Why? That was the first part of your outline. Because they heard. How are people going to hear about Jesus Christ unless you're talking about him? 
You say through the radio, yeah. That's kind of evidence that you're waiting for somebody else to do your job. Convicting. They heard, what? That he had performed this sign. People were coming because they heard that he had performed the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, they may have been coming for the wrong reason. But the point was, they were testifying of exactly what Jesus did, number one in the context. And number two, other people wanted to come to see if it was real. Whether they were coming just to have a miracle themselves is not the relevant thing to what I'm talking about. They were being drawn to Jesus Christ and called to come and see him. And that is the same thing that you saw in your response of reading this morning. I won't turn back to John 4. The woman said, look, this man's told me everything. That's all she could tell them. He's told me everything that's happened in my life. He knew about these men. He knew about my life. And I didn't tell him anything. You think he's the Christ? And what did she say? Come and see. Come on. You come with me. We can't even do that because we're embarrassed sometimes. I don't want them to think, you know, I'm a holy person, you know, whatever. It's tough for me to talk about Christ. It's tough for me to talk about answers to prayer. You ought to be praising God all the time. And if you ever really care about your unsaved relatives and your unsaved family, and if you really care about their internal destiny, you will want to tell them because you're going to want them to know your Savior. That's why you do need to spend time with them. I won't turn there, but I also had John chapter 9. Remember the man born blind? His testimony was just like these people here. Why? What he was testifying about Christ was this. Remember he was put on the witness stand and everything else, and who's your parents and what's going on and how did this happen? Bottom line with him was this. Look, all I know, I couldn't see. Now I can see. Jesus did it, and I don't even know where he is. That's pretty simple. All I know is I was unsaved. Christ died for my sin. He's the one that can give eternal life. Come and see. Look in the book. I'll show you. Let me ask you this. Who are you telling about Jesus? Who are you telling about the things God is doing in your life? You answer that for yourself. Who are you asking? Uh, you know, this isn't just Fellowship Bible Church. It's true for any church, but I'll give you Fellowship Bible Church. Who are you asking out? You know, this church has a lot of mechanisms by which people can hear the word of God. Sunday morning service. Sunday evening service. And you say, well, you know, I don't even have to go to Sunday evening service. No, you don't. By the way, in case you think you have to go to Sunday morning service. No, you don't. But it'll be a measure of how much you love the Lord. I don't come. You say you come because that's your job, Pastor Dan. Before I was ever assistant pastor. No one ever told me to come to Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday, or anything like that. I came because I wanted to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. I came because I wanted to know what this book said. You know why? Because I grew up over 20 years of wanting to know God and was following falsehood. And I wanted to know the truth. You've got men's meetings, you've got women's meetings, you've got Sunday school, you've got many, many, many right here in this church opportunity to invite people to hear the word of God. Part of the reason you don't is because you don't come half the time. That's hitting between the eyes, but that's reality. We are so consumed with everything else 
These are great opportunities for us to grow. And if you have a home Bible study in your home, invite them there. How does the church of Jesus Christ grow? By people testifying to who Jesus is and what he's done and by people seeing it in your life, in my life. One writer said this, and I quote, To keep God's truth in all its rich resources strictly to ourselves, he's talking to believers, is to withhold from others insights and experiences that can help them grow spiritually. What a shame on us. I say amen. And I take the conviction myself. It's pretty powerful. But in our text, you know, we overlook these texts. Well, Jesus came. They didn't accept them. Yeah, what's the matter with these people? They were blind. But all the time you did have some people saying, you know what? Let me at least tell you what he's doing. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Come and see. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1 again. Romans chapter 1. How does the church of Jesus Christ grow? How would Fellowship Bible Church grow? How would Fellowship Christian Academy grow? How would other churches grow, by the way, that are around us that are preaching the word? The same way, by you who know Christ testifying to who he is. Look at Paul's attitude. And I know that we probably would have some that say, you know, Pastor Dan, this was for Paul. This isn't for me. Oh, yes, it is. I am under obligation both to the Greeks, verse 14, to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Yes, Paul was burdened to them. Yes, Paul was called to the Gentiles. But watch this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? Because in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Pretty powerful. I stand here as a pastor, I have to be honest with you. Sometimes in my life when I don't witness, I wouldn't say it's that I'm not ashamed, but it is. I'm afraid of what people are going to think about what I say. As a pastor, Pastor Dan, yeah. Don't tell me it doesn't happen to you. We need to be testifying. We need to be telling others. Go back to John chapter 12. They came. Why? They had heard. We need to tell people what Christ is doing in our life on an ongoing basis. Praise the Lord we have opportunities to give testimony. Praise the Lord we have opportunity to bring people out. And we should be taking advantage of these things. Then notice this. Also, not only is it a situation where some heard, we see that it expands beyond that because others will see the evidence of what God's doing. Look at verse 19. The Pharisees. Here's the context. You see, you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, obviously, this is a hyperbole. It's, it's generally understood that way. Why? Because of the context. And this is no excuse to say that in every other case, the world doesn't mean the world. That's not fair either. Context always dictates that's the bottom line with 
interpreting Scripture, verbatim and in context. They recognize it. Look, everything. You need to understand the context. What were the Pharisees doing? The Pharisees were doing everything possible to kill Jesus. They were putting everything in stage so that people had to report him, and they couldn't stop this from happening. Why? Because some people were testifying as to what Jesus was doing. And no matter what they did, they couldn't stop the plan of God. And what I'm saying to you is when we're testifying of what Jesus is doing, other people are going to hear. And other people are going to see what is going on because the word of God, in our case, will bear fruit. And it can't be stopped. We need to be at least testifying as to what Jesus Christ has done in our own life. We need to be doing that. And what you come down to is there were some that were seeking him very quickly, verses 20 and 21. There were some Greeks among them. Isn't that interesting? Now, they were probably there in the context because of the feast, which means they were probably a proselyte. In all probability, they were in the court of the Gentiles, could not go any further because that was a restriction. And they wanted, basically, to be in the presence of Jesus. They wanted to have an opportunity to talk with him. And so they come to the feast. They go to Philip. Why? Probably, that's why it says he was from Bethsaida of Galilee. They might have known him. They might have known that it's a Greek area, and he was one that might be able to relate to them. And what did they want to do? They wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to seek Jesus. Why? Because they had heard. And now they want to seek. They want time to talk with him. It all comes about when people are testifying as to that what Jesus has done in their life. Has the joy of your salvation just drifted off a little bit? When I came to know Christ, by God's I shouldn't take these off because I already knocked them off, but when I came to know Christ as my Savior, I have to admit this, sadly. The zeal was so great that I, I, nobody could stop me. It did, I didn't care. People at work that were bosses, that were had the ability to fire me, I didn't do it out of line, but I let them know what Jesus had done for me. I went over to my in-laws. I called them on the phone. I need to meet with you. I sat down with my mom face to face. Mom, unless you believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. You know how hard that was for a son to say that to his mother? I got in touch with my brothers and sisters. I started to talk to those who I worked with. Why? The joy and the overwhelming sense of what had happened that I had salvation was so great. Couldn't hold it back. You know what happens in time? We become theologically stiff. We want to talk about such things as eschatology. We want to talk about the rapture. I, I like to talk about those things, by the way. Think about your own conversations. We want to talk about the deep things of the Word of God. We want to read people, and so that's good. But how many that are doing that are spending the time just in the joy of their salvation simply going up to somebody and saying, rather than, let me tell you about uh, the sanctification and, and uh, you know, assurances, you know, and all of these things. How about just going up to somebody and saying, let me just talk to you about Jesus Christ who came to save the, your, you from your sins. 
We don't even have conversations like that anymore. We want to talk about a limited atonement or unlimited atonement. We want to talk about reformed theology or we want to talk about dispensationalism. And by the way, they all have their right place. We want to talk about the deep things and we can't even share the joy of our salvation with anybody because we've lost the concept of constantly being a testimony for Christ. Oh, that God would help us just to cry out to our Savior and say, God, give me the strength and grace to just have that joy back like David did. That was sin with David. And say, just give me the freedom to let people see what's going on in my life because of who you are and what you're doing in my life. You know, let me be very simple. I know many of you were praising the Lord yesterday. What a beautiful day yesterday, wasn't it? But there's an example, continuous praise. We happened to have an event yesterday in, in relationship to my daughter's wedding and so forth. And we were simply praising the God, God for the weather. And I had the opportunity with several unsaved relatives to say that. God's given us a beautiful day. It couldn't be any better. Of course, they said, yeah, it is a nice day. Couldn't have been any better. But who are we giving the glory to? It's God that provided that. He could have provided rain all day for us. And by the way, he still should have been praised if that was the case. We lose sight. We lose it. They just wanted to come and hear about Jesus. True faith, I don't have time. I have to wind it down. But I'll tell you what I got in my notes. In James chapter 2, it says this. Summary of verses 14 to 26, if you'll allow me a little grace. Faith without works is no faith at all. It's a dead faith. If you say that you know Christ and you can't talk about him, if you say that you know Christ and you can't be involved in sharing with others and showing the evidence of it, not to just try to be busy, not what I'm talking about. You're missing the point if you are. But to just share what Jesus is doing in your life, that's a dead faith. It's words, not a life. And for those of you that are saying, praise the Lord, he means friendship evangelism. There's a place for friendship evangelism. But now I'm going to take it a step further. Sometimes we use that as an excuse for not telling people about Christ. I just got to be so friendly with them so that they know I'm just like the world. Oh, they know you're just like the world. But I don't want to lose them because if I start talking about Christ, then they're not going to be my friends. Who's more important? Your Savior? Their salvation? Or your comfort zone with them? You know, he was rejected by most. It's going to be interesting because when they come to see Jesus next week's message, he doesn't even deal with talking about getting to them. He starts dealing with the root of the problem. Men not understanding who he is. Men missing the whole point. And these were people that were excited, busy, a lot of things going on. But the good thing is some of them were testifying to what Jesus did. You and I who know Christ can at least go out of here this morning and say, by God's grace, I can tell others what he's done in my life. And if he answered prayer in your life, tell others. Invite them to come and see. I believe we're personally in a day and age in the church of Jesus Christ, not Fellowship Bible Church. I, let me clarify that. I include 
Fellowship Bible Church, but I'm not just centered on Fellowship Bible Church. In professing Christianity throughout the world, in which Christian, Christianity wants their own little things and to just go to church once in a while to make sure they're in line with God occasionally. But they don't want God to be a part of their life all the time. You know what the scriptures say about Christianity in the last days? Not much of it is real. And a lot of people that will stand before him will find out, I never knew you. And you know what unbelievers are going to confess? What every believer should confess. That Jesus Christ is, what's the next word? Lord to the glory of God. When someone's Lord over you, you want to worship them. You want to be with God's people. You want to be where you can learn because you want to learn more about him. Why? So that you can love him, yes, and you can tell others. Might God help us to testify with boldness to who our Savior is, those who make a profession of faith, as these people, even in the midst of the threat, you talk about Jesus, I'll put you out of the synagogue. You talk about Jesus and we'll come down on you. That's what was in, in the presence of them. And they didn't care. Even these people testified, I'm telling you, I saw it with my own eyes. He raised Lazarus. That's all I can tell you. And they kept on saying it. We can at least say, I was lost. Now I'm saved. Jesus Christ did it. And don't let it stop. Let's pray. Father in God, testifying of Jesus and bearing witness is something that even in theological circles is debated as the best approach and what should be done and the sovereignty of God's brought in. And Father, we know that we can sow seed, we can water seed, but we know that you give the increase. No man saves anybody. But Father, how often we even use your sovereignty is an excuse not to tell others about the things you're doing in our life. Maybe if we're honest, it's because you're not doing much in our life because we're not letting you have our life the way you want. God, forgive us. We pray as David, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Help us, Father, to realize that as true believers, we ought to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to admit the flesh is weak. <clears throat> like your disciples who scattered from Jesus Christ, we too are overwhelmed by other people, if we're honest. Though we hate to say it, sometimes we are ashamed of the gospel. We are ashamed of the things of God. God, give us boldness. Forgive us. Help us to live for Christ. Help us to enjoy all things, but, Father, to be so concerned for the salvation of souls and the salvation of others that we boldly testify on an ongoing basis to what Jesus Christ is doing in our life. And, Father, how we take a moment right now to pray for our relatives, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors who don't know you. We pray that they might come to Christ. 
Help us to be the light to them that we should be. Help us to be bold in encouraging them to come out when opportunities avail themselves for us. And I pray, Father, that you get all the honor and glory. Help us to look at how you change us from glory to glory as we yield to the Spirit of God. And Father, we pray that this church would be stirred up by it, our personal lives would be stirred up by it, and it would be seen right throughout this community. Father, those who don't know Christ, it's our heart's prayer that they might come and want to seek to understand who this is that died on the cross. Is he really the way, truth, and life? And that, Father, they might be drawn to him to see that he's the Savior that you sent. They might believe on him and have the gift of eternal life and experience being raised from the dead spiritually and understand salvation. Guide us now as we leave. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.